Welcome to Season 3 of the Cornerstone Bible Church Women's Bible Study Podcast, Beatitudes, The Beauty of Blessing. I'm Heather Hitzeroth, and this is Episode 4. Today we'll take a look at the fourth Beatitude in Matthew 5-6. What does it look like to hunger and thirst for righteousness? In what ways does God satisfy us when we do? Let's find out as we examine this section of Scripture in Matthew together. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Gracious and merciful Father, we are grateful for another week to study Scripture together with our sisters in Christ. Help us be attentive to the things that bring you delight, and allow us to bear fruit as we seek your righteousness. Thank you for the gift of your Spirit, and may you encourage us this week, and may our lives reflect your character. Amen. Well, we've arrived at the halfway mark in a list of eight Beatitudes, and I hope that you are being blessed by this study in some of the same ways that I am. Isn't taking a closer look at these patterns of the heart a sweet examination of how our Savior created and intended us to live in view of His holiness? Last week, we saw that when we are meek, we will set aside our will to do God's, and this causes us to develop new spiritual desires. We could say it this way. Knowing who we are before God and having our hearts transformed causes us to gain a new appetite. Our appetite for the old things diminishes as we hunger and thirst for more and more of God's righteousness. When we think about the last three Beatitudes, where the heart patterns we recognize left us entirely empty, aren't we now just ripe to be filled? This beatitude is a little easier to envision in our heads, I think, because Jesus uses something we physically deal with on a daily basis—food and water—things we know fill and sustain our bodies and provide life. And He uses them to paint a picture of what our desires will look like when we set aside our own will or become meek to do His will. And I believe that this righteousness He is speaking of is multifaceted. I think that we can see a picture of not only the righteousness of Christ that fills us when we are reborn, but also I think that we can see the righteousness of God that our reborn hearts want to obey and share with others. Everyone has a hunger and thirst in life because God created us all with a hunger for Himself. Every human was made to yearn for what only God can satisfy. C.S. Lewis said, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. In the Garden of Eden, the holy, perfect God walked with, enjoyed, and was at peace with Adam and Eve. I can't imagine anything more satisfying than that. But when Adam and Eve rebelled and disobeyed, that perfect relationship was broken and the longing for that righteous relationship with the Creator was not satisfied anymore. And generations of humans ever since have recognized a yearning in their soul, but their longings are misguided. This is why, before you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you may have sought after things here in your physical world that you thought would bring satisfaction to your soul. Earthly appetites like happiness or riches, success or maybe even health— But often, even if those things are attained, 
they bring only a temporary satisfaction, and the restless longing eventually returns. Why? Because Creator God made us to hunger for Him, and because only He will satisfy, the empty pangs of hunger we will have never begin to feel fulfilled until He does the filling. Jeremiah 2, 12-13 sums up what mankind has done in their futile search to satisfy their own hunger. It says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. If you're a broken vessel, you can't keep anything that fills you. When our hearts are transformed anew because of Christ's payment for our sins on the cross, Christ's perfect righteousness that was credited to our account by grace through faith causes us to be reborn, remade. And now the broken vessel of a heart we had is rebuilt into something whole again. We are now able to be filled and satisfied by the one who made us because Christ's righteousness has reconciled us back to a proper relationship with God. So now that we are in a right relationship with God, what does this mean in terms of the righteous deeds he tells us to actively live out? Well, in this beatitude, Jesus is also telling us that the original purpose he created us for, to be righteous, is essential to our living. When Jesus takes hold of our hearts, the Holy Spirit ignites a hunger and thirst for godliness. Jesus is comparing that what food and water are to our physical bodies, so righteousness is to our being. Aren't you so grateful that God made a way for us through Jesus to have our longings for righteousness satisfied? Now, as someone who is a child of God, empty and willing to be led by Him, I can pursue righteousness, not as a path to earn my justification, but as the fruit of my being made right with God. And the really beautiful thing about a desire for God's righteousness is that when you experience the satisfaction that comes from Him, the more deeply and genuinely you hunger for more. Anyone can do good things, but unless they are motivated by the correct attitude, they actually aren't righteous at all. And instead of being glorifying to our Creator, they end up being used to fill us up with pride and a righteousness of our own. Remember the Pharisees? They were known and envied for their outward acts of holiness, for going above and beyond what God's law required of them. Their self-righteous acts were not done as worship or with the intent of glorifying and doing the will of their Father in heaven. Jesus says later in the Sermon on the Mount that to enter the kingdom of heaven, our our righteousness needs to surpass that of the Pharisees. Did he mean that we need to fast more regularly than they did or give more to the needy or pray even more than they did? Of course not. An authentic and genuine heart worship in our right deeds is the righteousness that God desires. In Matthew 6, Jesus spells this out. He says that you may not murder someone, but if you've been angry with them, you're just as culpable as a murderer. That you may not commit adultery, but that lust reveals your heart has committed the same infidelity. Do you see what he's showing us? The innermost obedience of the heart is what he cares about most, not just the outward change of actions. Outward success and outward obedience cannot be the only measure of godliness because righteousness comes from God, 
not from yourself. Earlier this year, I came across a verse in Isaiah, and it caused me to pause and think about how I perceive God's righteous commands in my own life. It was Isaiah 29, 13, and in it, it says, This people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. When I read that, I was immediately struck with a conviction about the parenting of my four kids. The Holy Spirit helped me examine whether the example I am setting for my children matches the words I am teaching them. Can they see my relationship with the God I serve lived out in my daily interactions with them? Are they drawn and attracted to the God I teach them about because they see me in a living relationship with Him in our home? Or when my husband and I have sent them off into adulthood, will it be said of them that their understanding and fear of God is merely a commandment that was taught to them by their parents? I want my children to see that my husband and I genuinely need God and truly yearn for His righteous deeds in the ways that we show mercy, love, justice, humility, kindness, compassion, and purity to them and to others. I want my prayer to be like that of David's in Psalm 63, 1 through 5. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. That is a prayer of someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Do you know how easy it is to know what God loves? You have it right in front of you, and it's His Word. The Bible tells us what God loves, what He hates, and tells us of the blessings He gives when we walk on the path of righteousness. Proverbs 4.18 says, The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. Remember, the righteous deeds we are talking about are the fruit of our allegiance to God, not the means of our being made right with God. If in meekness, as someone who has thrown themselves on the mercy of God because of their acknowledged inadequacy, we set aside our will to do what God wills, we will be ready to do the righteous things He has shown us in all of Scripture. This is what Romans 6.13 talks about when it tells us to present every part of ourselves to God as an instrument of righteousness. Paul calls these righteous deeds the fruit of righteousness in Philippians 1, 9 through 11 He says, those deeds are only doable through Jesus Christ and result in glorifying God. The burden of trying to become righteous by our own effort is done away with when we are freed from the payment of sin. When you aren't earning anything, righteousness is freeing and obeying is a joy. So as we do each week, let's now turn our attention to the examples of how Jesus modeled this beatitude in his life. We've thus far seen in our study of the Beatitudes how he depended on his father, mourned over the effects of sin, and meekly set aside his will to do his father's. This week, we will see that Jesus cared deeply about righteousness. 
In Luke chapter 2, we read the story about how when he was 12 years old, his family went to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And when the feast was over and his family had already begun the long journey back home, Jesus stayed behind. When his parents realized he wasn't with their traveling group and went back to Jerusalem to look for him, where did they end up finding him? Well, they found him in the temple and he was listening, asking questions and learning from the teachers there. And at the end of this account, Luke sums up this portion of Jesus' early life by saying in verse 52 that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He knew how valuable the knowledge and wisdom of Scripture was. Jesus prioritized and prized the righteousness of his Father. When his ministry began later in his life, we see his love of what God loved woven throughout his interactions with the people he served. He offered God's righteousness to those he healed, those he taught, and the individuals who he conversed with. But I think Jesus' love for righteousness is most clearly seen through his death on the cross. He willingly sacrificed himself for us, but not just because he loved us. He loved his Father's righteousness and glory, and out of that love for God's holiness, which he knew demanded a reconciliation between God and man to make peace again, He made a way for restoration to happen by taking upon Himself the consequences of our sin and therefore bridging that deep rebellious chasm that lay between our stony hearts and God's perfect holiness. What amazing grace that is, that Christ died for us even though we had no desire for His righteousness and glory. And yet all by His sovereign, undeserved favor, we get to call Him our very own Father and He eagerly and freely satisfies our new appetites for His holy ways. So now let's talk about that blessing of satisfaction. Jesus says that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. That Greek word means sated or filled to overflowing. It's speaking of utter and complete satisfaction. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we are filled to overflowing. We're filled with Christ's perfect righteousness and life, and we're filled with the glorifying motives right now. But I think we can also see an element of future blessing in this beatitude. Because here on earth, in our mortal bodies, even when we strive after the things we know God prizes in our obedience, we still mess up. We aren't perfect. Until eternity, even though we are presently being sanctified and becoming more and more like Jesus, we will continue to sin. And that is why God's continual grace is such a comforting gift to us now. In God's everlasting kingdom, though, there will be no more sin. This also means no more temptation and struggle. We will get to experience the fullness of the perfect righteousness that was gifted to us in our mortal state. The hunger and thirst we have now will be utterly and completely satisfied when we are in the presence of God in heaven and experiencing the same perfect fellowship with Him that was present in the Garden of Eden. Right now, we get glimpses of it, and oh, how sweet and delicious it is. But those are just partial glimpses that give us a longing for that eventual, all-fulfilling feast. We see that picture of fulfillment in Revelation 22. The beginning of the chapter speaks about the eternal kingdom and says there is a river of the water of life flowing down from the throne of God there. And then at the end of the chapter, and this happens to be the very last chapter in the whole Bible, 
After just getting a beautiful peek of what eternity will be like, we, the readers, are encouraged with these words. Let the one who does right continue to do right, and let the holy person continue to be holy. By the Holy Spirit's encouragement and help, we keep obeying and keep desiring to do right because the one who satisfies us says he satisfies us with living water. Listen to what Revelation twenty-two seventeen says. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. If you struggle to have that thirst, know that God can give it to you. If you find yourself desiring and longing for things other than the living water that Jesus provides, this may be a good time to stop and talk to God. Ask Him to give you a gnawing hunger for the things He loves. Spend more time reading scripture because you will see what God loves, what He desires of you, and what His will is for your life. If you believe that Jesus is Lord and Master of your life, He says that rivers of living water will flow from within you. You've been given the Holy Spirit to guide you, help you, and encourage you. Remember the sweet promise in Isaiah 58, 11. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Thank you for joining me today, and my prayer for you is that God will grow your desire for Him and His ways in new and unexpected ways. May we glorify God with our joyful obedience. Next week, we will take a look at the fifth beatitude in Matthew 5-7, Blessed are the merciful. You can find out more information about this study on our church's website, cbcglendora.org, and in the show notes. Feel free to share this podcast with anyone who might be interested. Thanks, friends, and we'll see you next week.